Well, I want to thank you, brothers and sisters, this morning. You have revived my own heart. And as we have been going through uh, the worship service today, I keep thinking, I just don't want this to end. Like, just give me some more of that. Um, you know how I started to compare it to coffee, like put me on an intravenous machine, but, but this is way better than coffee. Um, just just to have the truth of God flowing uh, into our minds and hearts and to be expressed in a way that's so powerful. Um, there's a reason God calls us together the first day of the week, because weeks don't always go great. Um, and this brings us together to remember why we're on the planet, why we have hope, uh, what life is about, where life is found. It may be this morning that you are not sure where you are with God yourself. You're not sure if you have this relationship with Him through Christ. And my prayer for you today would be that God would speak to your mind and your heart and would draw you into His love where you sense that the only thing there is to do, the only right thing to do, would be just to cast yourself completely on Jesus and have him embrace you and welcome you. The Apostle Paul, in our study of 2 Thessalonians, um, he's been talking about the coming culmination of evil and rebellion against God under the poison leadership of the man of lawlessness empowered by Satan himself. Right now, there's a restraint on that lawlessness. We see it break out from time to time, um, but there is coming a particularly dark day. All human kingdoms rise and fall, no matter how powerful or wicked, and the kingdom of this blasphemous world ruler will be no different. It will rise and it will fall, for Jesus the Messiah will destroy him and his kingdom. He is the everlasting king, and his saints will reign with him forever. But how Jesus, the Savior and judge, treats his own is different from the way he treats those who rebel against him, those who put their faith in him. He rescues from sin and Satan and from the wrath of God that they deserve. And Paul wants his readers to know that if they are indeed trusting in Jesus, they are safe and secure now and forever. Ultimately, they have nothing to fear, for Christ has made them His own. So he writes in verses 13 through 17 this following encouragement. He writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, 
comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So we look at these words from the Apostle Paul. We see first his response that he is grateful for God's demonstrated love. Grateful for God's demonstrated love toward these believers. This is why he knows they are safe and secure because of the way God has proven his love to them. In verse 15, safe and secure in being loyal to the apostles' instruction. Because of God's work in their life, they are to hold on to God's message to them through the apostles that he commissioned. And finally, in verses 16 and 17, a benediction that shows that they are to be reliant on God's continuing grace. If we would have a sense of being safe and secure in Jesus, these three elements need to be part of our lives. So first consider, Paul starts with his gratitude for God's demonstrated love in the lives of these believers. Verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. It's right and it's appropriate even to the point of obligation of what Paul ought to do for Paul and his co-laborers to give God thanks for what was happening in the lives of those in Thessalonica who were trusting in Jesus. Because what is happening is, without question, a God thing, not a man-created thing. Really important habit for us to notice. And we've seen this in the Apostle Paul regularly in his interaction with those that he shared the gospel with and those that have trusted in the Lord Jesus, that he regularly is thanking God for what he sees God doing in their lives. Your your sense of security and safety is in some measure dependent on how, how well you pay attention to what God is actually doing in your life and the lives of those around you. Think for a moment about those that you know. You're with brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about what you've seen God do in their lives. Really important for you to rehearse that in your mind. God is not just a figment of our imagination. He is actually active, and you've seen Him active in your life and the lives of others. It's important that you give God the credit that He deserves. If, if all we're doing here is what man has created. If, if the reason we're here is because in 1940, in February 1940, you know, Hampton Park, well, it wasn't, it was Hampton Avenue then, was founded, and, and this is, all this is is a religious business, then, you know, it's not worth the time you're putting into it. You should have slept in this morning. But if we are here because of what God is doing, okay, now that matters. That's a reason to gather, and that's a reason to give God praise. These are brothers. They've been born again. They are now members of the family of God. His life force is at work in them. That's what's transforming them from the inside out and binding them in love, not only to God the Father and God the Son and Spirit, but also binding them in love to their brothers and sisters in Christ who, like themselves, were trusting in Jesus. We are family. We're brothers and sisters 
ultimately because God's life is in us and has changed who we are, has changed our very identity. This is the most important thing about you. This is more important than any place you've ever been born or any experience you've ever had, that you have God's life in you is the most important thing about you. This is what forms your destiny. This is what makes your present worth living. This is what gives you purpose. These are beloved by the Lord. In contrast to those destroyed by the Lord Jesus who refused to believe the truth but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness, He loves them with a love that stretches from eternity past to eternity future. Paul goes on to furnish the proof of that divine love. How do I know personally that God loves me? He says, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Now, some manuscripts read, chose you from the beginning. If you look at the language Paul was writing, it's just like one letter difference. And personally, I kind of lean to from the beginning. Uh, first fruits introduces an idea that, that Paul does bring up, but it seems foreign to the flow here. And I think it either refers to the beginning, it could be the beginning of when they first heard the gospel, but more likely, given what Paul talks about elsewhere, is going all the way back to the beginning of time. And before that, he rescued them from the wrath just described against the lawless ones of the age. He chose them from the beginning. Now, how does God accomplish this? I mean, what means? How is this choice made known? His choice in the beginning breaks into our personal histories in this way. Note the way Paul says it. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So, you have this uh, objective truth, but you also have the subjective work of the Spirit in their lives. The Spirit of God regenerates us, gives us life. The Spirit of God sets us apart to God. That's what sanctification means as His own children. He continues that work in our life. He convicts us of our sin and of our need for the Savior. He convinces us that the gospel message is actually true. I mean, how, how do you get from, oh, this is just a fairy tale that religious people believe, to I'm banking my life and my eternal destiny on this? There's something that has to happen in my mind and my heart, and it's the Spirit of God that does this. The Spirit of God sets us apart and keeps working in us, demonstrating God's choice of us. We are owner-occupied. God gives us the indwelling Spirit. Now, he convinces us the gospel message is actually true. And we, we learn elsewhere in Romans, faith comes by hearing. Like, how do you come to a point where you actually are willing to trust God? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In other words, when God speaks, people listen. And when you realize God is actually speaking to you, it gives you ears to hear. It's the people that don't think God is speaking that are deaf. They, they don't hear it. And Jesus would often say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And God speaks, and, and God opens our hearing. In fact, this is so powerful. Think about it. At the end of the age, Jesus says in John 5 that, that he will speak, and the dead will hear his voice. God's words 
have life-giving power to the point he can make dead people hear the voice and respond and come out of the graves. And he goes on to say that that was actually happening already. Because people that were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins were hearing the voice of God. And when they heard that voice, that, that voice gave them life. Just like the God who says, let there be light, and there is light. He essentially does that to a believer. He says, let there be light. And the light goes on. And we go, oh, now I believe. Now I see that God's words are actually true. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and it was the Holy Spirit, by the way, that, that inspired the Word of God, that bore holy men of old along so that they wrote down the actual words of God in their own language, their own idioms, but wrote exactly the truth that God would in Britain. The Word of God opens our ears to the truth, and by the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit, we are convinced that we can rely on it. So anyone who ends up trusting in Jesus does so as a result of God's powerful, loving work in them. Nobody comes to Jesus just because they were smarter than everybody else. Nobody comes to Jesus just because they're better people. In fact, often God delights to save the worst of people to prove that it's not about them, that it's about Him. You know, faith... Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We are saved by grace through faith, and that salvation is not of ourselves, but of God. This is a God thing. If you're a believer today, if you have life from God, it's because God did a work in you, and we praise Him for that. So how do you know who the chosen ones of God are? Well, they are the ones the Spirit convinces and regenerates with life from God. They are the same ones who believe the truth of the gospel. They believe. The second action of God's love is His call, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. To this He called you through our gospel, through the good news that they preached to Him, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God uses the good news, it's meant to be shared, to call sinners to repentance and faith. How shall they believe if there's not a preacher? He calls us not just to turn to Christ. His call includes all the transformation that He will work in us so that we will one day obtain, actually experience the glory, the shining splendor of our Lord Jesus Christ, His sinless character, His immortal life, his eternal inheritance. We become citizens of His everlasting kingdom. We become children of God's family. And as we grow, we think and behave more and more like Jesus. The glory grows. The light grows from our lives. We will one day share in His resurrection. Even death cannot hold us. We will gain immortality. We will share in His blameless holiness. And that day will be completely sinless. We will be incapable of sinning. We will inhabit the heavenly city that has come down to the new earth where righteousness has taken up permanent residence. No more sin, sickness, death, sorrow, wars, 
fightings no more. Every tear God will wipe from our eyes. We are finally free from all the curse of sin forever. This is the good news. This is the glory to which God has called you. It's not to, look, it's not, it's not a call for you to just come join Hampton Park Baptist Church. It's not a call for you to get religion or turn over a new leaf. It's not a call for you to identify as an evangelical or whatever. It is a call to the whole thing. To turn over your trust to Jesus so that he takes you all the way to glory, to eternity future. It's an amazing, amazing thing. When God calls you to put faith in Jesus, this is the destiny to which he is calling you. Now, if you balk at the call of the gospel because you think you will have to give up too much, too much control of your own life, you don't, you don't actually understand what's going on. You aren't in control. You never were. You are a slave to sin and to Satan. Just try to stop sinning. You are doomed to eternal wrath. We're, we're called the sons of disobedience. We are called children of wrath because by our very nature, we deserve the wrath of God. The only hope is for you to trust God and his goodness and to, to trust that enough, to trust him enough that you take hold of his offer of rescue. God gives us an entirely new destiny, so good and so grand that it's actually hard to get our minds fully around it. And that's why some people say, ah, it's just a fairy tale. It's too good to be true. You know, if it's too good to be true, how does the saying go? It must not be. Well, this is too good to be true. But it's true. Because it's God that's making the promise. It's an amazing thing. Paul's words here remind us of what he said to the believers in Rome. He says, we know that for those who love God, and they love him because he first loved them, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So he's using similar language that he uses here. For those whom he foreknew... So that goes all the way back before the beginning of time. He knew them, loved them. He also predestined, he set the boundaries to be conformed to the image of his son. God's goal for you is to be like Jesus in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified, he declared righteous in the court of heaven and those whom he justified, declared righteous, he also glorified. And he speaks of glorification as something that's so sure that it's as good as done. We aren't at that glory stage yet, but it's so sure that it's as good as done. It was established that it would be done even before time began. The whole thing. Unbreakable chain of saving events. The greatest gift you could ever possess is that God loves you with a love that will never let you go. 
He has loved you from before the world began, and He will love you through all the eons of eternity future. There's never going to be a point where God says, Oop, time's up, you're out of here. Never. There won't be a time when God says, Goodbye, that's all for now. My grace has run out on you. Never. Because He's God. And He's made these promises. So show yourself to be among His chosen ones by yielding to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your heart. By relying on the truth of the good news that has been preached to you. That is the only way you will ever be safe and secure forever. This morning, let me ask you, what brothers and sisters in Christ do you thank God for who show evidence that He has chosen and called them to eternal glory? You know, it it feels good, you know, when our children do things that we've trained them to do or when they show character traits that, that are beautiful character traits. Well, it feels good when we see the character traits of Jesus, the character traits of God the Father etched into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It it feels good to see that and to thank God for that. And what evidence do you see in your own life of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying influence? And then finally, if you are relying on the truth of the gospel... How can the assurance that God loves you with an everlasting love give you courage and confidence that you are safe and secure? See, if the Spirit's been at work in your life and you've responded to His work, you're trusting in the gospel. See, what makes you safe and secure is not you. The one who makes you safe and secure is God. And he says, if you'll trust me, I'll make you safe and secure. No worries. Safe and secure. And so the question for you to deal with is, has the Spirit worked in your life this way? And are you trusting Him? Because if you are, you are safe and secure. Well, that is not a call to inactivity and laziness. So we see in verse 15 that... There's a second key to this sense of safety and security, and that's loyalty to the apostles' instruction. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you are taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. God's love, as revealed by His choice, um, is is not a call to smug passivity like, I've arrived. I belong to God. I'm a member of Hampton Park Baptist Church. I'm an evangelical. I'm a Christian. And so I'm going to sit here and wait for Jesus to come back. As the letter to the Hebrews taught us, we must persevere in our faith. There are all kinds of trials, challenges, all kinds of lying voices. This, this life is a battle for the Lord, and, and so we can't be passive. So, how, how, does, how does that perseverance actually happen in our lives? It's through holding fast to what has been revealed through the apostles that Jesus sent to bear witness to the good news. 
Stand firm and hold to the traditions, and that refers to what has been passed on to them. And it's not just any traditions, by the way. You know, people and even churches um, have all kinds of traditions. They pass on ideas and practices that, that are imperfect or, or false or, or even harmful. In fact, Peter uses the same term. In 1 Peter 1.18, it says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So it's not like every tradition, you know, we bow at the shrine of every tradition. No. No, the, these are the traditions, a particular kind of tradition, a particular kind of thing handed over that you were taught by us. Who is the us? The apostles those appointed by the Lord Jesus to proclaim the true gospel, to authenticate it with signs and wonders, to write it down, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So, remember that as Paul is writing this letter, obviously, as he writes the letter, the second letter to the Thessalonian believers, the New Testament scriptures are not yet complete. How could they be? He's writing part of it, okay? Second Thessalonians will be part of that collection. Paul repeatedly refers to what he and the other missionaries orally taught these believers in Thessalonica. He's done that through both letters. He talks about how they taught them and what they taught them. And in fact, the apostles were preaching the gospel some 20 years before even the first book of the New Testament was actually written down. So think about that. 20 years oral teaching of the gospel that, that was reliable because it came from Jesus through the apostles. But because the apostles would eventually die out, they committed their oral teaching to writing. And that apostolic teaching is preserved for us in what we call the New Testament. The New Testament books, 27 documents collected from God, inspired by God, authenticated as coming from God. Now, some religious traditions rip this verse out of context in order to teach that there are other apostolic traditions that were never written down in the New Testament and that also have apostolic authority. That's convenient. For when you want to add something new, you just say, oh, we discovered an apostolic teaching. And so we're going to add this to what is written. What so often happens is that what they add twists what is written or contradicts what is written down. The key is this. These are traditions taught by the first century apostles of Jesus. No one else dare add or subtract from their authorized teaching. They taught it orally. And then they wrote it down so that there would be no question as to what they actually taught. I mean, it's easy, 2,000 years removed, to say, oh, well, Paul taught this and John taught that. In fact, you've probably been in plenty of services where you hear preachers say, God says this or God says that, or conversations with people say, well, doesn't, you know, isn't God this way or doesn't God say that? And you say, well, no, actually not. Okay? So we're not just like making this up. It's a revealed religion that's been handed down. Um, remember that the reason 
the believers in Thessalonica had become fret, fretful about the day of the Lord was that someone had claimed apostolic authority that the day of the Lord had already come. And Paul wrote this very letter to expose the lie and calm their hearts. And by the way, they even said, even if it pretends to be a letter from us. So it's not just, not just oral tradition, but, but also written stuff that can be wrong. Okay? So this is a different class of writings that are actually from God. Beware what claims to be teaching from God. What do the Scriptures written by the prophets and the apostles actually say? Test everything by that. That has always been the test. Even while God was still revealing truth through the Old Testament and New Testament, the test was, what has He already revealed that's been written down, and does this match up with that? Because if it doesn't match, then it's not genuinely from God. We live in an age of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. That means we think that modern is better. We think that recent means better, smarter, more reliable. Well, that's a debatable claim at best. But when it comes to what would challenge the words of Scripture, it's an utterly false claim. Be very careful. It may seem simplistic to say, I believe because the Bible tells me so. But if you transfer your trust to something else, you are building on shifting sand. It won't matter how smart you are, how deft you are with philosophy, how in tune you are with the wisdom of the times, or even how much influence or responsibility you have in a church like ours. You will wander into the darkness. If you are to stand firm, you must hold fast to the apostolic teaching preserved in the written word of God. If you let go of what the apostles delivered to us, you will not stand firm. You cannot. You cannot. There's too many storms. There's too many confusing things going on. And, and at the time you're most confused, at the time you're most beleaguered, at the time you're most tempted to, to throw it off, that is the time you need to hold on tighter than ever. Because you are not in yourself a good judge of what is true and what is not. The Scriptures are the test. We go to them. So don't let yourself become complacent. Don't just drift along like whatever anybody says or whatever anybody writes. Or, you know, if they're a celebrity enough, you believe them. And, and don't be arrogant that somehow you've figured out a different way of life. It's such a foolish way to think. It is your connection to the apostolic gospel testimony that keeps you safe and secure. Your personal experience of what God has done in your life needs to match up to what the Scriptures teach is actually going on. Those that deviate from this testimony reveal that they were never true followers of Jesus however much they may have looked like it before they left. So let me ask you this morning, what ideas and pressures tend to intimidate you or draw you away from holding tightly to the apostolic teaching recorded in the Scriptures? Watch out for that. It's poison. 
It'll mess you up. Don't, don't think lightly of those lies. D- don't just blow those off like they don't matter. What daily, in, in protection against this, what daily and weekly patterns have you established to strengthen your grip on what the Scriptures teach and thus protect you from all that would lead you astray? See, part of the way you, you, you spot the counterfeit is knowing the real. And, and if you will immerse yourself in the Word of God, if you will build your life on what the Scriptures actually teach, when somebody teaches something that's off, it, it, you may not be able to quite put your finger on it, but it, the alarm bells ought to go. You know, the flags ought to go up saying, ah, that doesn't quite seem right. Now, does it not seem right because I've never heard it before? That's not enough. Does it not seem right because there's some resistance in my heart? That's that's not enough to prove anything. Maybe it doesn't seem right because it doesn't match what the Scriptures say. Ah, that's the key. And let me add one more protection for you. What brothers and sisters in Christ are close enough to you to encourage you to stand firm and hold fast. One of the things that happens is when we start getting confused and drawn away, we kind of isolate ourselves. We kind of go off on our own path, you know, captain of my fate and that kind of stuff. And, and there's nobody else in your life to actually say, what are you thinking? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, wh- where have you been? Like, wh- what are you, or it could be, it doesn't have to be that confrontive. It could even be like, what are you reading lately? How can I pray for you? And you need people close enough to you that when, when things are happening in your life that are drawing you away and, and you're even blind to it yourself, you've got people who are going, whoa, something's off with Drew. What's going on with Drew? You know, I, I need to ask him about that. I need to pray for him. Okay, You need people like that. Well, the third thing, about being safe and secure is we are reliant on God's continuing grace. Verses 16 and 17, benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So Paul closes this chapter with a prayer of benediction. And the ground of his prayer and confidence is found in God Himself, and we're not surprised at that. He's already talked about the work of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. He he points our attention to our personal connection with God once again. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, along with God our Father, who loved us. And we remember all that He talked about with with God loving us. Well, now He's praying with that love came eternal comfort and good hope. Comforts and consolations come and go. But this comfort that God has already given us as our present possession through the gospel is constant and it's forever. It will never be removed. It will never be removed. It's firm and solid ground. It's never going to fall out from under you. And it is good hope. Christian hope is certainty regarding the future. And there's no other way to characterize what our future is than just pure good, beneficial. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth at the end of it, he said, he said it was all very good. That's, we're going back to the all very good. That is our Christian hope. 
John Newton says it famously in his hymn, Amazing Grace, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and comfort be as long as life endures. There's lots of things we haven't experienced yet. We watch our brothers and sisters experience them, but, but I find myself, do you, saying, God, when, when my time comes, when I need to go through this, please walk with me. Please comfort my heart. Please, please give me the grace to, to keep holding on to you. Uh, please let me sense your love for me. And this is all through grace. It's an unearned gift from the triune God, given not according to human merit, but because of the redemptive work of Christ for us. His merits have given this to us. And on this basis then, Paul prays for God the Father and God the Son to comfort your hearts. Now to us, when, when we think of the heart, we think of the emotions. You know, I love you with all my heart, okay? But both Old Testament and New Testament refer to the heart as the seat of the intellect and will as well. In, in other words, the heart is like the core of who you are. You, you hear it in verses like Proverbs 4.23, keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So this is the way you think, this is what you love, what you desire, this is what you want out of life, this is your heart. It's like the control center of your life. So Paul is talking about comfort at that deepest level of who we are and what drives our decision-making and our action. He prays for that comfort. And then establish them, establish your hearts in every good work and word. There's practical lifestyle impact that God creates through bringing gospel comfort to the core of our being. He makes us stable, and from that stability of knowing we are loved and that our future is secure come deeds and words that are good. And indeed, the, those work, that work and that word that flows from who we are now in Jesus, that continues to reinforce. It, it, you know, it, it's not just theoretical, something we think about, but it's like flowing out through us. We, we know that, you know, if you want to learn something well, just prepare to teach it. If it's got to flow through you, teach it, you learn it better. And in this same way, God works through us, through our words and through our deeds. So, armed with knowing you are loved by God, how can the eternal comfort and good hope God gives help you endure the difficulties? Many of you are dealing with difficulties right now. If you're not right now, you know that tomorrow will come. Help you endure the difficulties and also seize the opportunities in your life. I mean, wouldn't it be an amazing thing just to live life this way? Like you've got this good comfort, you've got this sure hope, and, and, and this good hope, you know where you're going, you know who has you, you know who loves you, and now from that basis, I'm, I'm going to face the difficulties and I'm going to seize the opportunities. I mean, that can make even Monday morning look great, right? If, if this is the way you're approaching it. And, th and then let's turn this outside of ourselves. What brothers and sisters in Christ, since Paul is praying this for others, 
What brothers and sisters in Christ can you pray for this way? That God will comfort and establish them so that good deeds and words flow from their lives. Parents, I know you pray this for your kids, right? And for your grandkids. Pray this for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray this for your husband. Pray this for your wife. Pray this for those that you've been drawn into connection. Now, if you've not yet put your full faith in the truth of the gospel that God has revealed, can I ask you this morning, like, what, what is holding you back? I mean, why, why would you delay? I mean, if his gospel rings true to you, and maybe it doesn't yet, but if it rings true to you, will you not then put the full weight of your trust in God to make good on his promises? I mean, if God doesn't keep his promises, he's not God. And if he's calling you today, if you sense that he's working in your heart, it's good evidence that he's already chosen you. And, and that's why your heart is open to him. Listen to the Spirit's convincing and convicting work in your heart. And trust the good news of Jesus now, today. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't, don't fight against him. Bow your will. Stop trying to do it all on your own. Yield and trust Eternal comfort and good hope are His gracious gifts offered to you because Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, has already died on the cross to pay for your sin debt. He has risen from the dead to show you His power even over death. And even now, He intercedes for those who are trusting Him till they reach their final inheritance in their eternal home. If we are safe and secure, we are grateful for God's demonstrated love. We must remain loyal to the apostolic instruction, and we are reliant day by day on God's continuing grace till He fulfills all that He's promised. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes and just before we pray, I, I'd like you to think about the inherent appeal of this message from Paul to us today. And I want to give you opportunity, if you're not trusting Jesus yet, or, or maybe somewhere in the course of this message, you said the, the light went on and you said, this is true. I want to give you opportunity right now to talk to God about where you are. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. I want you to pray to him that he will rescue you. I want you to thank him for Christ dying on your behalf and ask him to forgive all your sin and to give you life in Christ, to give you this good hope. God is the kind of God who doesn't say no to that kind of request. If you are one that's already trusting God this way, I'd like you to spend some time just thanking Him for what you have in Him. Let's do that 
silently now, and then I'll close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving us the way you love us. It, it really is, it's really beyond our comprehension, knowing how rebellious and sinful we are and knowing how holy you are, that you would love this way. But you have proved over and over again that you do. And so, Lord, we thank you for convincing us. We can be as cynical as anybody else on the planet, but you convinced us. You, you brought us to a point of saying, yes, I believe, I, I trust this. I'm, I'm going to bank my life and my, my eternity on this. You've done that. So God, thank you for that love. And Lord, I pray that you would help us hold fast to your scriptures. Thank you for committing your truth to writing so we had something objective in, in our world just full of lies, something objective to test everything else by. And Lord, thank you for your continuing grace in our lives, for the way you empower us to do and to say what we ought to do and say. Lord, we look forward to the day we see Jesus face to face when your work in us is complete. But Lord, help us be faithful in the meantime, knowing that we are safe and secure. For it's in Christ's name we pray.